0: I just want to show you a little video as a, just a, a way of introduction uh, this this morning. Oh,
1: damn! And I don't need any of this. I don't need this stuff. And I don't need you. I don't need anything except this. This ashtray. That's the only thing I need is this. I don't need this or this. Just this, this ashtray. This paddle game, the ashtray and the paddle game, and that's all I need. And this remote control, the ashtray and the paddle game, and the remote control, and that's all I need. These matches, the ashtray, and these matches, and the remote control, and the paddle ball. This land. That's right. The battle game and the remote control and the lamp, and that's all I need. And that's all I need, too. I don't need one other thing, not what I need this. The battle game and the chair for the remote control and the matches for sure. Whoa, what are you looking at? What do you think I have? Some kind of a jerk or something? And then, that's all I need. The aircraft, the human control, and the magnitude.
0: It's pretty silly, isn't it? But I watched that, I can't say I've actually seen the whole movie. I can only take it in doses. But as I watched that, other than dressing like that, I've come to find that that is me and my attitude sometimes. I mean, I say I don't know, need things. I say, well, I have Christ and I seek to love Christ with all my heart, my mind, my soul and strength. But the reality is, as I go in that pursuit along the way, I find myself stopping and deciding I need this, and I need that, and I need this, and that. And the reality is, those aren't needs at all; they're just wants. And there's nothing wrong with wants, as long as what drives our wants. Is not a love for once. Once are okay if we use those once driven by a love for God and a love for people. The reality is all of us can relate to this video. And it's really a question is where is your contentment? Where is your sufficiency of life? Where is that centered at? We have two options really. We can either choose to strive to find contentment and sufficiency in consuming and gaining more and more things of this world. Or we can choose to seek a greater gain through Christ-centered contentment. A contentment that is born out of a work that he does in us. That realizes that we actually have all that we will ever need in knowing him. And in him, in trusting in him provide us what we actually need. That's the choice we have to make. We have to choose whether we're going to love God and love people or we're we going to love things and what we think they can bring us. Now, to get to this point today, we first have to return here to 1 Timothy chapter 6 starting in verse 3 and we're we're going to, once again, Paul takes us to look at false teachers. Paul has already spoken of false teachers in chapter 1. In chapter 1, he, uh, he exposed to us how these false teachers were misusing the law, that they were teaching the law improperly. They weren't using the law lawfully, we might say. And then in 1 Timothy 4, we see that these false teachers have a skewed view on marriage and and food. He actually determines their, their teaching as it has its source in demons. Not that he was teaching or people were teaching about demons, but that it was inspired or it was driven by demonic strategies is what he was saying. Now today as we come to our passage today, We might call this, as one commentator called it, a a pathology for false teaching. Now, a pathology is this. Pathology is the scientific study of the nature, origin, and progress and cause of diseases. We call this a pathology because, as we'll see, there's words for sickness that he describes the false teachers and words for unhealth that he describes them. Now, I tried to open up with a funny story about pathology. I actually asked some of my doctor's friends if they could give me something funny about pathology. And I called and I, and you guys know, I called and I talked to him, and he says, he actually had me call him because I texted him first, and he said, uh, so I called him, and he says, uh, now what do you want? I said, I want something funny on pathology. And he knew I didn't understand what pathology was. He says, Matt, there's nothing funny about pathology. That was the most boring subject in medical school. Just a bunch of people sitting in labs staring at stuff. That's what it is. So no funny stories about pathology. But the reality is pathology is still important. Because pathology tells us things about disease. And how it started, where it found its origin. And it gives us insight on how things can be treated and dealt with. And that's what Paul does here. He gives us some insight. He gives us a pathology report, we might say, on the disease of false teaching. So look at it with me in the text here. It says in verse 3, if anyone advocates, again, this is a, this is a Greek construction that assumes it to be reality. reality. He says if, but it's, it's hey, just take this reality. It's true. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound, this is the Greek word hujano, or which we get hygiene from. It does not agree with healthy words, we might say. Those of the Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited. He understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest. In reality, this word morbid interest is literally he has a, a sick interest. He has an unhealthy craving, he has a disease filled craving, and controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved minds and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. I think Paul gives us some good insight here. I think Paul gives us some insight of how we can see and how we can examine, how we can identify the disease of false teaching that so often is constantly trying to infect its way into church. I think the first thing that we have to do is we find is it's under its teachings. And there's three questions that we need to ask about its teachings. First of all, it says we first we need to ask, what do they affirm? These fellows in Ephesus, these cats in Elf- Ephesus, they, they were advocating a different Doctrine. It was different than what Christ taught. It was different than what the apostles taught. It was different than Scriptures. And we have to ask that question. Whenever we see a false or we ever see any teacher, we've got to ask, what are they affirming? Because, see, it's always been the strategy of Satan from the very beginning. From the very beginning. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and the strategy all along has been to come alongside the teaching of Christ and give us a different teaching in an attempt to replace it. And so we've got to ask, who is this person on TV or on the radio? What are they affirming? What are they saying? The reality is, <clears throat> just because they say it's from God's book, we can't say it is from God's book. And that's true. We've got to do a few things here. We can't just accept it. We have to be people of the book. And the question that we should be asking ourselves, anytime we should actually be asking these teachers in our heads is... Where can I find that? I mean, you hear them say this, but then you ask, well, where can I find that? That's why we want you to bring your Bibles. We don't even want to trust want you to trust what's on the screen. We want you to bring your Bibles and make sure that is in the Bible. And don't let them do this. Don't let them just give you a reference either. Look it up. Because that's, that's the slide technique. Yeah, it says this and this and this. Go look it up. And then do this. When you look it up, just don't read the verse for itself, but look at the first 20 verses before it and the first 20 verses after it and see if what they're saying that verse means actually means that. You get it? You getting this down? You write, come on, write it down. All right? This is important. I'm telling you, false teachers are everywhere. And then when you look it up, then compare the rest to the, of Christ's teaching as well on the subject. Don't just let them isolate one passage on you. You compare Scripture with Scripture and see if it agrees with the sound and healthy words of those our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, it should be in accord with Christ's words. His words that came through His apostles and those who followed in His footsteps. It should be in accord with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another question we need to ask is, what do they deny? Because they affirm things, but sometimes they just deny things. Deny things such as do they believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? Do they believe that Jesus Christ is the God man? Do they believe that He is God is triunity, that is, He's one in essence, three in persons? Do they believe that Christ has a sinless nature? Do they believe that that Jesus is the only means of atonement for sin or payment for sin? Do they believe in grace through faith alone? Do they believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's not just a figurative one. Do they believe in the return of Christ? If they don't believe in these things, if they don't acknowledge these things, if they deny these things, they're infected with false teaching. So see what they deny as well. And then last, this third question, what does their teaching produce? Because the scriptures say it should produce the doctrine conforming to godliness. Godliness is this. It's the living out of Christ like character as I yield to the Word of God and depend upon the Holy Spirit. Godliness is this I am made godly positionally through the person and work of Christ and faith in that. Then, godliness is taking that Christness in me, my position in Christ, and it's living that Christ character out as I yield to the Word of God and as I depend upon the Holy Spirit to do that. That's godliness. And the reality is, if, if, you, if you look at folks and, uh, who are listening to this teaching and they're not living out Christ-like character, three things are wrong, okay? Or could be wrong, all right? The first one, this, is the one who's listening to the, to the teaching is not a believer in the first place. The second thing, it could be this, that the person listening to the teaching could just be a carnal Christian who is not yielding to the teaching of God's Word or third, it's this they're false teachers. We need to ask the question, what is their teaching producing in the lives of people? Then we need to look at his attitudes. He says, He is conceited and understands nothing. This word conceited in the Greek, it's a it's an interesting word. This word literally means to be wrapped in smoke or to be wrapped in a mist. It's, in other words, we might say, His head is in the clouds. Is what we might say. It, it speaks of someone who has such a lofty view of themselves that their heads are in the clouds. They tower; Their ideas tower over everyone else's. They're not teachable. You ever heard the one about uh, the Boy Scout? The minister? The pilot and the computer whiz on a plane? You ever heard that one? I'm going to tell you. They're all on the plane, and uh, all of a sudden, the pilot comes out and says, Hey, the, the, the plane's going down. The plane's going down. We have a problem, though. We have a problem. There's four of us, and there's only three parachutes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? All right. Well, the pilot says, he steps up real quick. Like, he says, Look, I've got a wife, and I've got four kids. I need a parachute. Takes it, jumps out. All right. Then the computer whiz comes up. He says, Hey. I have so much knowledge. I have so much intellect. I have so much that this 21st century needs to know about technology. I can't die now. I can't go down with this knowledge. And he takes the parachute, jumps out, and goes. Well, then the minister, being godly as he is and sacrificial servant that he is, he turns to the Boy Scout and he says to the Boy Scout, young man, because that's how ministers talk, I've lived a long and full life. You go ahead, and you take the parachute, and I'll go down with the plane. The Boy Scout turns, and he looks to the minister, and he says, Mr. Minister, it's okay. That computer whiz was so smart, he took my backpack and jumped out. <laughs> and I say that because these false teachers are so conceited, they think they have so much but the reality is what they have not only takes themselves down to destruction, but it takes others down to destruction as well. There are no-nothings in reality when it comes to eternal truth. There are emphasis, though, as well, it says here he has a morbid interest. That is, again, that sick, unhealthy craving and controversial questions and disputes about words. Is they, they have word battles. They fight over terminology. And I was trying to think, man, where, where, where have I really seen this? And uh, I was reminded about some, uh, a, a theory, and this is a theory actually I learned back way back in my seminary days, and this is totally going to bore you guys, but I'm going to tell it anyway. It's a, it's a theory I learned way back, uh, and it, it, it's, it's called the JEDP theory. You remember that, Grant? of Scripture, and you're like, that is boring, Matt. Why are you telling me this? And, and the theory, and it was boring to me at first until I started to understand, it. the theory is this, that the original first five books of the Bible were not written by Moses. Instead, the theory goes like this. There were really four different authors, all right? And, and the idea is this. The one who, this stands for J, the one who used the word Jehovah, all right, that was one author. All right, the one who used Elohim, that was another author, and then there was another author who just totally—he wrote Deuteronomy, and then somebody who was priestly wrote Leviticus, and and so Moses only wrote parts of it. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, people really think this? Now, here I am, young seminary pup, didn't know. And, and the reality is, the answer is pretty easy. I, I'm not going to give you all the details and bore you more. The reality is this: throughout Scripture. The scripture, the Old Testament, and clearly the New Testament, they all point back to Moses being the author. So, why you wrangle over these things? And then about a year ago, I had a guy from our church here who came in and was witnessing some folks, and they were having some arguments about and they were denying the reliability of Scripture. And all of a sudden, he brings out one of the arguments that I was bringing. He says, Yeah, and there's this something called a JEDP theory. I was like, man, this is alive and well. Right here in Waco, Texas, Fellowship Bible Church, somebody's being encountered with that. Somebody's being encountered with terminology and battles over controversial questions and disputes about words. And then look what follows their fruit, out of which rise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved minds and deprived of truth. These guys' minds are unregenerate. They they lack truth. And so, therefore, just as their teaching doesn't produce godliness, it doesn't produce godliness in their own lives as well. But last on this pathology report is their motive, and this is where I really want us to get down into. Look what it says there the last part of verse 5. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. That is, these fellows, these false teachers. It's the same word that was used earlier of godliness, but it's not speaking of the kind of godliness we understand. The context tells us that the godliness that they're putting on is what we might just call religion. That is, it's, it's the idea that these guys came to you, so you see their teaching, to see their religion as a means of making a buck. That is, instead of feeding the flock with God's Word, they're fleecing the flock with their false teaching. And you all can start thinking of places where you've seen this happening. And the reality is this motive has continued to infect the church down through the ages. These conceited, these money-hungry false teachers, they infected not only Ephesus, but they affected the church in Crete, in Corinth, and Macedonia, and virtually every church in the first century. And guess what? It didn't stop in the first century. Matter of fact, if we move up to the 15th century, there, there was a guy named Johann Tetzel. He was a carnal priest. And this guy calmed the commoners in his day to, indi- to buying indulgences. Indulgences were a way to kind of pay for your sins, to be released from, from sin. And he's known for saying this. That is, as he would go around the cities and collecting money for these these indulgences, here's what he would say. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. He's playing on some fear, isn't he? He's playing on some false teaching. His pitch, people could purchase a pardon from God that that would purge them from this unbiblical place called purgatory. Purgatory. He prayed on the spiritually illiterate and spiritual fears of people to fund the so called church ministries or coffers and to fund his personal gains. Like, oh, that was awful back in those dark ages. Let me bring you up to the 20th century. Let me bring you up to the 21st century. There's a heresy. That's called the Word of Faith movement. I'm going to speak real clear. There's a heresy called the Word of Faith movement. There's a, there's a heresy of, of this idea of this health and wealth gospel. And it's false. It's demonic. It's this idea that, hey, if you just believe enough, if you believe enough, then you make God give you things. That, that if, you, if, you just, if you give enough, you're guaranteed you get even more back. And I'm not saying God doesn't bless and God doesn't give, but he doesn't owe us anything. Okay? And that kind of teaching has wrecked people's lives. As it preys on fear. As it preys on false blessing. And it preys on something that's so common in America. This drive for consuming. Don't fall for it. See, that theology, that false theology plays so well here. Because we live in a society that is is consumer-driven. We live in a society that says, I need this, I need this. It's part of the fabric and the culture of America. And the reality is it's not just America. I've traveled around the world enough to know that whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you have a lot or you have a little, you can be driven by a desire to need and want and want, want more. And gain more. So what's the prescription for this kind of false teaching and disease thinking? Well, Paul begins to give it to us in verse six. Look what he says there in verse six. But godliness Okay, you gotta understand the context here. Same word again, but godliness, this is the real deal godliness he's talking about. Not the kind sourced or not source in outward religion, kind of outward things, godliness but it's the kind source in the inner regeneration of of individual godliness. It's the the kind of godliness that is rooted in a genuine relationship with a person of Jesus Christ because you put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ accomplished for you. It's the kind of godliness that understands that I've been given this position in Christ, but now that I am in Christ, I, I yield myself to Christ and His Lordship. And as I grow in that more and more, I begin to live out his plans and his purposes in my life. It's that kind of godliness. And look what he says here. Look at this. This is awesome. Get this. But godliness actually is a means of, get this, great gain. Great is the word megas. He says this is, this is megas gain. This is, this is so much better than what these false teachers are are, are selling you. That is, in who you are in Christ and what He's doing in you, there is megas gain. There's great gain. When accompanied with contentment. See, he's not talking about financial gain. He's talking about spiritual gain. Let me show you. This Greek word for contentment, it's the uh, basically it's the Greek idea of an inner sufficiency that keeps one at peace in spite of outward things. Now, now the Greeks like this, and this is a really noble virtue, but where they centered this sufficiency was in a, a self-sufficiency. But see, what, what Paul does through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is... He takes this word contentment and he sanctifies it. He sets it apart and says, it's not sufficiency in yourself, but it's sufficiency in someone else who is in you. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, let me show you. All right. Matter of fact, flip over to Philippians 4. I know I I don't have it on the screen, so don't look for it. Flip over to Philippians 4 real quick. Sword drill. Go. All right. Philippians chapter 4. All right. We're going to look at verse 11. All right. All right, some of you are flipping your phones. Okay, that's good. I like that. All right. But look at this, verse 11. It says this. And you got to remember, here's where he's writing from. All right? He's writing from jail. Okay? All right? He says this, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. Same word as First Timothy six. 6. In what I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I'm like, yes, tell me. Tell me, Paul. How have you learned this? I mean, how many of you are asking that? How have you learned this? And he says, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secrets. Oh, there's a secret. Tell me. Of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I'm like Paul. Tell me where is the answer? And then he says, "This. It's a verse. Y'all, a lot of you of us know. I can do all things through Him, Christ, who strengthens me." He, what he's saying, in essence, is he's saying, "Hey, guys, the sufficiency is not in yourself, but the sufficiency is who is in you. That is Christ." That is, if you put your faith and trust in the person and work of Christ, you're now in Him. He takes up residence in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And He's telling you this. I don't care if you're in a jail. I don't care if you have a lot of food, little food, lots of money, little money. The reality is, if you're centering your self-sufficiency in the person of Christ, you can be content. You can rest. You can rest in what He's done for you, you can rest in the fact that you can trust him where he has you right now and you can rest in the fact that he has things for you in the future for all eternity. That's where contentment is found. When you're satisfied in the person and the work of Christ. We so try so try so often we as believers to try to meet needs and longings and stuff. And Christ says, no. Come to me. I will meet your needs. I will actually show you how to use stuff. And I will provide you with the stuff that you really need. Let me help you get this. I want you to grasp the gain of godliness. The first is this. Through being made godly in Christ, our created need for relationship is met. I want to go Genesis on you for a moment, all right? This is this. When we go back to Genesis 1, verse 26, he tells us we are created in his image and his likeness. The term likeness is a term of relationship. That is, you and I were created to have relationship with God. But we all know what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Sin came, and it ruined that relationship. And so all of us are born into sin. We are separated from God. But through Christ Jesus... All right. if we put our faith and trust in Him, this relationship can be n- renewed for all eternity. That is what you were created for. To have relationship with God is renewed in Christ. And it will always, always, always be yours if you put your faith in Christ. And I'm telling you this. I know this from experience of talking with people, seeing people in my office. And they're longing for intimacy and relationship, and they try to find those things ultimately in people, and they try to find those things in things, and it does not bring contentment. Because what you were created for was relationship with God, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That is Megas gain. You can say amen. There's another word in there. Not only are we creating His, ima- or His likeness, we're creating His image. That's a word of, re- of, of reflection. That is the sense we're made as an image so that we might reflect back to Him. That is not only we created to have a relationship with Him, but we are created to have purpose that is centered in bringing Him glory. And here's what we try to do. All right? That is you and I... Instead of through godliness, we, 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 we find glorifying God and meeting our creative purpose. We try to find our purposes in stuff. In possessions. In power. In positions. But that's not what we are created for. It doesn't mean it's wrong to have power. It doesn't mean it's wrong to have possessions. It doesn't mean it's wrong to have these different things. It's the reality is what we were created for was to bring God glory in the use of those things. And until you do that, you will not experience the godliness that brings gain. Because it's not centered in contentment of who Christ has made you to have a relationship with who as Christ has made you to to live for the glory of God. I know that's a deep truth, folks, but it's true. Got to get it. Got to rest in it. And I'm telling you, people are longing for such meaning and purpose that you and I have already been given in Christ, so why do we want to wander off and seek it in anything else? You can give an amen. Now, I realize this is hard to think this way. The reason is this. is one man wrote primarily because we are bombarded ceaselessly with powerful appeals to buy this and sin for that and borrow for the future and live in the present. And we're we're all led to believe that we all deserve much better than we are getting. And, And all these subtle encouragements are pressed upon us hour by hour, day by day, through the news, through magazines, through Internet ads, through every store window. We're always like, more, more, you need this, you need this. that's not where contentment comes. So I'm going to give you just a few things here to help you find or you know, to put on this contentment in Christ. The first is this. We find in verse 7. For we have brought nothing into the world, and so we can take nothing, anything out of it either. That is, we need to remember stuff is temporal. It's temporal. Now, I'm not much for board games. My wife tries to get me to play them. I really don't like them, okay? But once you get me to play board games, I get a little excited. Okay, because because my 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 kind of my competitive tendency yeah I'm a little bit competitive, it comes out okay. So my kids they they like to try to get me to play my junior Monopoly okay. I don't, I don't want to play that game, but when you get me playing junior Monopoly, I'm in it okay. All right, I'm in junior Monopoly you know, and I go all Donald Trump on them okay, all Donald Trump. I'm playing, I'm winning. Now the reality is junior Monopoly is different. They don't really have houses and apartments. They've got like ticket booths, all right, so it's a little bit of a downer, all right, but the aim is still the same, all right, and so instead of a park place and, and, and the other place, I'm looking to get merry-go-round and loop the loop, okay, because those are worth five dollars a piece, okay, so I want those, and you come by my ticket booth, you better have your money. I don't care that you're my kid, all right, this is junior monopoly time, all right, You give me the money or you go, all right? Go sit with your mom, all right? You think I'm playing. I'm not playing, all right? But when I'm on a roll like that and I'm ordering the kids around like that, it gets a little depressing when the game ends. You know, when you got to put things up, put the, I mean, I was winning. I mean, I had, you had to put back the little ticket boosts, the green ones, the red ones, the yellow ones. You got to put back the cash, put it all, and you got to put it all back in the box. And then you realize oh, it was just a game. And you take the box off. One day, everything's going to be put in a box. And it don't matter how many ticket boosts you had. It don't matter how how much cash you had. All that matters is what you've sent forward. All that matters is what you do with the talents, the time, and the treasures, and how you use them for things for eternity. Everything else goes in the box. Remember, stuff is temporal. Here's the deal, too. Second, learn to discern want over need. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. As God's Word gets real basic, you're like, serious? Food and covering? Yeah, he said food and covering. He's trying to, he's trying to get their attention. He's saying, guys, and he's not saying you can't have things. He's not saying that. Don't believe that. But what he's saying is what you all, only what you need, All right. It's food and covering, clothes and something over your head. With these, we shall be content. That's it. Right now, my kids are with their grandparents. So you know what that means. That means Elizabeth, I can go out. All right? We don't have to be back in a hurry. We can, we can go out. And so we had a gift certificate to the Texas Roadhouse. All right? And when I got to Texas Roadhouse, I, I learned another lesson on discerning between... Between need and want, okay? Because as I went down the menu, I saw some things on there, and one was called ribs, okay? And you've heard me talk about ribs before. I like ribs, okay? And so, but when the list of ribs is, you can get a half slab or a full slab. Need, wants. Half slab, full slab. Need, wants. Want. Can I have the full slab, please? <laughs> My wife's sitting across from me like, what? and so the route is i just eaten a barrel of peanuts on the way in. And then I, I, was, I was drinking a soda, all right, and then I had a side salad with ranch dressing on it, all right. And it wasn't a light ranch dressing because they just didn't have it. So so they, they brought it out, and, and they brought out the full slab. And I started eating. I got through about half the slab, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have to tell my wife she was right. I didn't need a full slab. Full slab was a want. The reality is you and I, I'm not saying it's wrong to eat ribs, by the way. If you eat a full slab, you can handle it. Great. But we need to discern between need and wants. And if God gives us wants, that's great. Just be content. Don't expect more and say, I need this want. There's a third thing. We need to look around at the devastation from greed. Look at what verse 9 says. 9 says this, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. I want you to notice the downward spiral here. Okay? Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. And a snare, that is, they get trapped as they fall. And many foolish and harmful desires, and this could be the word uh, passions or lusts, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. The word plunge here is the idea of a boat sinking. It's becoming sinking to the ground. It's submerging, going to the bottom. For the love of money, notice this to underline this: the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Again, money is not evil in of itself, it's a material thing. It's the love of money. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. As because of the love of money. The griefs are a cause because contentment flees. Griefs come in the form of health failures because people, after all these things, they just want and consume and consume. Marriages become unraveled because of a lust and love for money. Children have rebelled, addictions take over, economic collapse. We've all experienced someone else's love for money, and desperation follows. And notice who did it. They did it to themselves, through the love of money. Guys, right? I don't even need to illustrate this verse to you, these verses. You all can look around, and you know. You've seen it. Maybe you've seen it in your own life, seen it in a family life or friend's life. We see it on TV every day. The evils of the love of money. The question is, how do I avoid this? How do I stop this? Let me tell you this. We well, can't just say, I'm going to stop loving money doesn't work. There's a principle the Bible teaches. It's called putting off and putting on. And I want you to go back to verse 10 with me. And we'll, we'll wrap up with this. It says, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, having a passion for it, a love for it, get this, have wandered away from the faith. Part of our faith in Christ is this. That is, they they begin to love stuff more than they love God. They begin to love stuff more than they love people. And I know some of you right now, because we we all like to rationalize, you're saying, Matt, I, I don't love money. I don't love it. Let me quote Tony Evans. He says, okay, say you don't love it, but you date it. You fantasize about it. You romance it. Can you lose sleep over it? I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like love. Let's get real about it, folks. And there's only one ant- antidote to this. There's only one replacement. It's this, and it's not original with me. It's a quote. It's this right here. Here's here's the antidote. Love God. Love people. Use things to love God and love people. I'll say it for you again. Love God. Love people. Use the things that God blesses you with and gives you to love God and love people. Make the passion of your life make the longing and desire of your life to do what you were created for to love God and out of an overflow of that love love people and then use those things to love God back and love the people he's put there for his purposes and his plans And then that will be mega gain. Dear God, we come and we praise you, God. We thank you so much that you come. And that when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, you didn't just come just to forgive us our sins. You did that. But Lord, you also part of that forgiveness was so that we might have relationship in you. That we might go back to what you originally created us for. To be in a love relationship with you and to be used of you to love other people. Lord, help us be a people who find great gain in godliness with a contentment. Help us be a people who find great gain centered in a Christ-centered contentment. And all God's people said...
1: And